Hello and welcome to Intelligence Talks and Happy New Year. I'm Anna Ward, I'm your host. I'm a senior research analyst at Knight Frank and today I'm joined by Rural Research Head Andrew Shirley and Head of Agri-Consultancy Tom Heathcote. Hello Tom and Andrew. Hello. Hi Anna. So, Tom, I was going to start with you, really, just for an introducer on what's happening here. So, obviously, the news last week that farmers will be given taxpayers' cash to rewild land has obviously caused a bit of a storm in the press. So, it'd be great to hear from you what you think the government's trying to achieve with this and what's sort of at stake. Yeah, it certainly caused quite an, an emotive and an evocative kind of reaction from people. I mean, the government, essentially, this is the first part of them delivering on the changes to the agricultural policy, which was outlined in the new Agriculture Act and the New Environment Act. And that is also combined with the government's move towards net zero, when one of their sort of ambitions of this is that they believe that the UK has lost a lot of its habitat and that we need to restore that. And so one of the outcomes of this new policy is the plan to restore, uh, and the press in some situations is calling it rewild, parts of the UK. That can mean taking it from a productive state at the moment to something that in some people's eyes resembles a non-productive state. And that in particular is what is giving cause to a lot of the consternation and concern through the farmers uh, and the farming press at the moment. In what sense are they concerned? Do you mean in the sense that, you know, there might be more reliance on food imports, so it's threatening their livelihood? Yeah, I mean, the big issue here is is the debate of, of what land is, what its primary use is. Is it used for food production or is it used for nature recovery? And at the minute, a lot of people are reporting that it, it, you can only use it for one or the other. And, and to the extremes, you either rewild it and people sort of envisage kind of reversing land to scrub and reintroduction of apex predators or you use it to produce food. People don't understand that actually there's a very happy halfway house here. But the press and everyone is choosing to kind of not report on that middle ground. And Angie, what about just the scale of this? Because obviously the government is looking at restoring land to nature almost twice the area of London in theory. So is that something that you were expecting as you know, you've been covering this market for so long? I mean, is this something that's been on the horizon for a while? Well, it's interesting that the press have sort of used this um, comparison of London because everybody knows what London is. It's a big city, but if you look at the map of the UK as a whole, this is actually a relatively small area that we're talking about here. And one of the criticisms of the government's latest proposals comes from environmentalists, and they actually say, you know, you're not you're not doing enough. This doesn't cover enough um, enough of the UK to really sort of make up for the um, degradation of land and the um, environment that we've seen from intensive. Farming, so it's one of those situations that the government really struggles to win. Farmers don't like to see land going out of production, and um, environmentalists always say there's never enough um, land going into these new environmental schemes. But as Tom points out, there's a very happy medium. You don't have to go to the extremes of farming or conservation to actually be able to do a lot of work to re-establish some of these habitats. And I think that's one of the problems, isn't it, is actually that this is being portrayed as going from one extreme to the other. It's being portrayed as being land that's producing a lot of food, a lot of calories, to one that produces nothing. And that is, Andrew said, that isn't the reality, but that is how it is being portrayed. I think it's indicative of debate today, isn't it, Tom, really? I mean, everything is polarised. You're either for or against something. There never seems to be a sensible medium discussed in the press. Do you think it is part of it that it might set a precedent for more land to kind of go this direction? I mean, although, you know, as you say, 
you know, respective to the UK, it's not a huge proportion, but could it, it increase over the next few years? I think there's a limit because, you know, land, um, unless you're a very wealthy landowner, has to remain profitable. And unless the government's prepared to pump in huge amounts of money um, to subsidise these so-called rewilding schemes, you know, we're not talking about millions and millions of hectares of the um, UK that are going to rewilding. So I don't think we're setting a precedent. It's just the extreme of the debate that, you know, that the media likes to pick up on. And I think this is, as you said at the outset, this is a response to the recent Agriculture Act and the Environment Bill, which were very heavily influenced by environmental groups. And so this has moved quite along the short-term policy, so five to ten years, has moved quite quickly to focus on uh, environmental and nature recovery. And it's reduced the importance of food production as part of that. But I'm quite clear that it will it will correct itself over sort of five to ten years when they realise almost that actually we've still got to feed ourselves as a nation and self-sufficiency remains important lots of other geopolitical pressures climate change will mean that food uk food production will come back on the agenda so although we've moved quite heavily and quite quickly into this uh, sort of environmental area world it will recorrect and rebound i think it will i don't andrew if you've got thoughts now i think it will recorrect and balance itself out yeah i mean i think so there's no point outsourcing food production to less sustainable parts of um the world when we can actually um rear animals and grow crops in a very sustainable way in the uk using things like regenerative um agriculture which i know tom is a big fan of so there's i think there's lots more nuance that will be introduced as the government sort of environmental schemes um develop they just might not be so um press friendly i mean there's some really interesting work going on around supplementary feeds for animals that reduce the amount of um methane that they um that they emit but you know they they just don't get quite such a, an exciting headline as rewilding an area the size of london what this does help do is it, it helps some people in the farming industry who need to change. It kind of is a wake-up call for them and help them, helps them to realise that actually we do need to look at the way we manage land, the way we produce food, the way we grow crops, rear our animals. And actually, is there a different way that we could do this? Can we do it in a far more sustainable way, so a far more financially sustainable way and sort of environmentally and ecologically? Can we do it things differently? And one of the things I think the positive that will come out of these slightly sort of shock and awe headlines is it will make people just pause and think about what they're using their land for, how they're farming it. So that's a positive, I think. What's the sort of bottom line thing? Like how will they be incentivized? I mean, presumably the government is incentivizing them to return this land so you know they're not just doing this out of the goodness of their hearts clearly but um there is financial incentive behind it well that's interesting so the financial incentive we've we've seen the first stage of that at the bottom sort of entry level the sustainable farming incentive we've seen the payment levels on that and they're not they're not that exciting the next two levels we're yet to see the detail on that and i think there seems to be this assumption that farmers are going to benefit and a lot of farmers are going to benefit from these sort of new revenue streams linked to nature linked to the environment so ecotourism eco-service provision but that's quite a big leap of faith though and actually i mean what the government isn't doing is providing clarity on sort of subsequent legislation and subsequent support to help farmers transition to that i mean kind of like how long is it going to take what's the additional funding they're going to need additional investment so the secretary of state and the government is asking farmers to take a big leap here and farmers naturally are pretty risk averse individuals and the industry is right in calling and demanding for more clarity. It, it's tricky for the government because they need to put information out there 
and they haven't got all the answers yet. For listeners that might not be familiar with this, I mean, if you are rewilding a piece of land that's been, you know, in agricultural use, I mean, how long would that actually take and what would be involved? There must be quite a lot of work involved in that, surely. Or are you just talking about kind of leaving it to naturally return to its own? The initial stages, yeah, absolutely, will happen very quickly. But then you'll go through your starter process of, change with the successional growth and different land uses will will develop and that will carry on for decades, centuries. You'll get an initial quite quick change and then it will just continue to naturally evolve. And it's whether you literally allow nature to do what it wants to do. Yeah. Literally or... Just leave it. Yeah, exactly. You leave it or whether you interfere in some way because thinking that you know best or you... How to rewild. Yeah. (laughs) And and we don't, actually. The most optimal thing to do is to let nature take its own course. So NEP, for example, that Andrew has just referred to, NEP is actually a heavily managed environment. It doesn't appear it, but actually they control it very carefully with the stock numbers to control the land cover, the amount of trees, etc., scrub, growth, grass, extent. So it's heavily managed in that type of environment, but people wouldn't think that necessarily. Okay. Just going back to your food production point on the kind of scale of this, do we know yet if, you know, if the government does return or mandate that we return, say, to London's to nature, does that directly result in an increase in food imports or is it too early to really gauge? It's too early to gauge. It's a really valid question. It's too early to gauge and it depends where it takes place. So, for example, if some upland areas are reverted to scrub, they're rewilded, you're going to lose a few thousand sheep, cattle off the hills will have a relatively little impact compared to taking the same area out of intense cereal or vegetable production from the east will have a much greater impact. But it's too early to say on that. I think it's also worth remembering that some of the UK's most loved landscapes aren't necessarily the rewilded one. Everybody talks about, you know, hay meadows, this sort of patchwork of hedges in the southwest, these little fields. These are, of course, very much man-made landscapes. So as well as rewilding, we sort of need to protect these sort of old agricultural systems as well, because those are the kind of things that people actually um, resonate with when they go to the... um, Countryside, to many eyes, you know, some of the projects like NEP are actually not particularly attractive because when you revert to nature, it can become quite wild. So I do think we need to avoid fixating too much on rewilding as the only solution. There's lots of other landscapes in the UK that people consider very valuable. I think they would be upset if they were lost if we did go too far down the rewilding route. Yeah, no, that seems a fair point. What are your thoughts on Ed Sheeran being involved in all of this in terms of celebrities turning their hand to rewilding? Well, it's really interesting. If you talk to our farms and the States team, they're getting no end of calls from the likes of Hollywood film stars who want to buy a little patch of the um, UK to rewild. You know, it kind of comes back to what Tom's been talking about. Not everyone really understands what rewilding is. They think they'll let it go and it will suddenly become beautiful for them to sort of look at from their grand their grand pile in the countryside but it doesn't necessarily um work like that do you think people will end up cheating and like they'll they'll let it go but then kind of i don't know scatter some seeds on it to make at least some flowers grow in it i mean you imagine there'd be a lot of like cheating because is the government saying it's like literally returned to nature or will people add to it yeah they'll interfere with it That's the problem the government hasn't said, and that's what then gives rise to speculations. But the flip side of that then is that that then gives people the opportunity to interpret it and to deliver 
some really interesting habitat restoration, habitat creation, which is still can still be used as a farmed environment. It can still be used to rear livestock to grow crops, but it's being done in a far more environmentally sustainable and sort of a way and adopting a whole systems approach. And the initial kind of wording that's come out with these releases would indicate that that is hopefully possible and achievable. I actually don't think necessarily the government envisages this wholesale let go and rewild. I think they envisage something that is using land in a far more sustainable way, however you define sustainable. But in my mind, that's sort of farming in harmony with the natural environment. I think that's what they envisage. And that's what I hope. I think it's just got slightly rebadged, I think. So what do you think, what will be the sort of knock-on impact on on the land market then for this year? I mean, I, mean, I know, Angie, you've already commented on the value of farmland rising, outperforming gold, etc. I mean, does this add or take away from the value of land? It has to add to the value of land because every year there's not actually that much land that's traded in the UK. Farmers tend to like to keep hold of their um, land. Bank managers seem fairly relaxed about lending against farmland. So the amount that's put up for sale is is pretty pretty limited. So when you've got such a shortage of stock, as soon as you've got, kind of got this new breed of buyer, the eco-buyer, um, as we might call them, in the market, that extra demand is always going to push up land values. So yeah, I think undoubtedly it, it will continue to support prices. Um, this year, and of course, we mustn't forget the sort of carbon markets. There's a lot of talk about um, carbon and how you know improving your soil structure or planting more trees um, could allow us to lock up more carbon and hit our net zero target. So that's going to be another factor that will um, be on the mind of a lot of potential investors in farmland. So thank you so much, Andrew and Tom, for joining me. Really interesting to hear about the rise of eco buyers, the value of farmland, and obviously a lot going on for 2022. And of course, unpacking all of those headlines that we've seen recently in the press. So thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you very much, Anna. Thank you. So for more analysis, you can subscribe to our research note, which goes out every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. You can see our show notes for more details. And please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and listen out for our next episode in two weeks. Thank you for listening to this week's Intelligence Talks.